Hello and welcome to the Crown Jewels Cycling Stories podcast, a collection of short stories to listen to on your travels. The Old Man and the Seat Nick took his bike down from the rack and wheeled it out of the shed. He had many bikes, but this was his favourite. It was a look, a good bicycle, one of the best. He loved the clean lines, the pale blue colour, the shiny components. Nick was old and tired, his hair growing thin, his skin dark and tanned, no excess fat, slim muscled legs, strong calves. He poured a daiquiri from the jug and the salty spirit moistened his lips. He removed a fat Cuban cigar from his top pocket, bit the end off and stuck it in his mouth, rolling it around with his tongue before dipping it in the oily flame from his zippo. The bicycle was his friend. He remembered the good times, the best of times. Those were good times when they rode to Les Invalides and drank good coffee by the Seine, and when it was dark they rode home again. They didn't have lights, but they weren't afraid. They were never afraid, except for Scott, who was always afraid and kept getting his shoes caught in the pedals and falling over. And the time they rode to Spain to see the bulls, and Scott had a puncture and they left him on his own to fix it, and he was so mad and never forgave them. Nick cleaned his bicycle carefully, using a toothbrush on the cassette and an old rag to polish the metal. He loved how it shone in the weak sunlight. Now it was true and honest and clean, and it was good. Nick sat down on his garden chair. It was worn and brown and cracked. He wished he had kept it in better condition, like his bicycle. His bicycle was true and honest, like a man, a good man. But his garden seat was a woman, soft and uncertain and changeable. Nick grew wistful as he gazed at the cloudless sky and thought of seats. Seats and chairs, sofas, chaises longues. So many seats, so little time, like women. Nick looked at his bicycle and then he looked at his garden seat. He looked at the saddle. It was a brown brook saddle, worn and faded, but the shape fit him perfectly. He could lose the bicycle, but not the saddle. He would keep the saddle and they would grow old together and keep each other warm. He stroked the hard leather, his fingers catching on the shiny rivets. Bicycles could be changed and replaced. They didn't last, but a good saddle was a seat forever. His wife joined him in the garden with a cup of tea. Look, Pilar, said Nick, stroking the saddle. Is she not fine? Yes, she is fine, said Pilar. She is very fine, but I prefer physic. With apologies to Ernest Hemingway. Harry Potter and the Order from Wiggle Harry Potter sat in his room at Hogwarts, surfing the internet on his iPad. Ron Weasley was lying on the bed, gazing at the mirror on the ceiling, while Hermione was sitting on the rug, scrolling through her garment. Have you heard of Wiggle? Harry said. Professor Snape had one, said Hermione. It's a magic wand. All wands are magic, said Harry. Anyway, this isn't a wand. It's a website for cycling stuff. It's not just cycling, said Ron. They also do running and swimming and triathlon. Shut up, Ron, said Harry and Hermione in unison. Harry scrolled to the section with lights. The Nog Blinder rear light looked neat, and it was only 19.99. I'm buying a light, said Harry. Get a tea light, said Hermione. They're pretty. I'm not getting a tea light. This is a rear light. USB charge, 44 lumens, five different modes, 50 hours in eco flash, 100% waterproof, gets good reviews. Why do you want a rear light anyway, said Ron. You haven't even got a bike. Shut up, Ron, said Harry and Hermione together, and they giggled.
Harry created an account and paid with Professor Dumbledore's PayPal account, which he had hacked earlier. A few days later, a DPD driver drew up at the gates of Hogwarts and rang the bell. The heavy gates swung open, and there stood Hagrid, his giant frame astride a giant frame, filling the doorway, his big bearded face staring down at the driver. What do you want? he roared. Package for Potter, said the driver. Sign here, Squire. He held out the little handheld device. Hagrid's enormous hand closed around it, and with his clumsy fingers he clasped the stylus and scribbled his name on the slippery surface. The driver peered at the screen. What's that say? he said. Hagrid, said Hagrid. Are you blind? Is that a first name or a last name? It's a name, roared Hagrid. Now get lost. No need to be rude, squire, said the driver. Just doing my job. Hagrid let out a terrible bellow and ran at the transit van and pushed it off the drawbridge. It tumbled over and crashed to the ground far below, parcels scattering everywhere. That was silly, said the driver. I had a parcel for Hagrid. Hagrid found Harry playing Quidditch and gave him the parcel. Harry ripped it open, found a little packet of sweets and gave it to Hagrid. Here, said Harry, have some Hagribo. It's not Hagribo, said Hagrid, putting the whole packet in his mouth, plastic and all. It's Haribo. Can't you read? Harry tore at the packaging, but he could not open the plastic wrapped around the light. Hagrid tried, but he also couldn't get through the hard plastic. Malfoy came past. He couldn't do it. Professor McGonagall likewise tried and failed, as did, as did Professor Snape. Anyone seen Voldemort? asked Harry. He's good at packaging. They went and found Voldemort, who was sitting on the battlements, watching cat videos on his iPod Touch. Voldemort pointed at the packaging with his wand and whispered a spell. The package sprang open. What was that spell? asked Harry. Voldemort said, That is a secret known to very few, Harry, and you are not one of them. Harry made a face. He attached the light to his cloak and switched it on. The bright red 44 lumen light pulsed through the gloom. Harry tried the different modes. Standby, fast flash, organic flash slow, organic flash fast, eco flash. Nice light, said Ron. Shut up, Ron, said Harry. With apologies to J.K. Rowling. Lumber puncture. Jeff turned left and soon the road started rising. It had been warm, almost hot in the valley with the strong sun and little cloud, but as he climbed higher the sun slipped behind the trees and the temperature fell. Jeff didn't mind. He wore a base layer beneath his top and the exertion of climbing kept him warm. He settled into a steady cadence and kept his head down, watching his Garmin and occasionally glancing at his feet. His right leg was stronger and he noticed that his left knee jutted outwards on the upward pedal stroke, but he felt comfortable and believed he could hold this pace to the top of the pass. The trees were thicker now, tall pines close together, and he could see little as he glanced to right and left. A few other cyclists had passed him, some heading down, some up, but he had seen no one for the last ten minutes and there were no cars. The road was smooth and clean and his carbon rims sliced through the air. Beneath his helmet he wore a cap facing backwards to protect his neck. The close fit also stopped the sweat from sliding into his eyes. The occasional chain rub and the squeak of tyre on tarmac was the only sound to be heard. Jeff's mind wandered. He loved this time. While cycling his mind could focus on a particular topic, turning it over and over, or else it remained blank, all energy and brain power directed to his legs, heart and lungs. He reached down and took a sip from his bottle and reached into his pocket for a fig roll. The crumbly sweetness and sticky fig seeped into his bloodstream and gave a spark of extra energy. 
He watched his cadence and heart rate on the Garmin and scrolled through the screens. Time, distance, speed, average heart rate, meters climbed, calories burned, so much data. He felt a sharp bump beneath his front tyre and the bike started to wobble. As he always did when he got a puncture, he refused to believe it was really happening, as if the tyre would plug the hole itself or he would ride on and it would be miraculously inflate. But it never did, and it didn't this time. He stopped the bike and dismounted, his cleats clattering on the dark road. He looked around. The forest was dense and impenetrable. A carpet of leaves covered the ground. The sun was hidden and it was cold and gloomy. He pushed the button on the Campagnolo brake lever to relax the brake blocks and undid the quick-release lever. The wheels slipped out and he fell into his practised routine. He found his tyre levers and levered the bead from the rim. He pulled the tube out and then pulled the tyre from the rim. He ran the tyre through his fingers, looking and feeling for whatever had caused the damage. He found nothing. He rotated it again, more slowly this time, the tips of his fingers gliding over the rubber, searching for a telltale flint or thorn. Still nothing. A voice came from behind him. You all right, mate? Jeff turned around. He was a tall, lean man wearing full Rafa Sky kit, a cask helmet and orange lace-up zero shoes. He had mirrored oakly shades, a thin face and a full beard. He was astride a black Pinarello with zip wheels and a full Dura Ace group set. No shortage of money there, thought Jeff. Need any help? Jeff looked at him. The shades reflected Jeff's own face. He couldn't see the cyclist's eyes. Where the hell did he come from? Jeff thought. Have you got a spare tube? he asked. The cyclist unzipped the bag velcroed to his seat post, removed a tube and held it out. Thanks, said Jeff. Jeff put the tyre on the rim, seating one side of the bead. Have you got a pump? Wordlessly, the cyclist removed his pump from where it was attached to his frame behind the bottle on the down tube and handed it to him. Jeff attached the pump to the valve and pumped a little air into the tube. He pushed the tube onto the rim beneath the tyre and worked it around. He began to roll the tyre onto the rim. The tyre was tight and stiff. The last few inches were always the hardest. Jeff bent over the wheel, rolling the tyre with his thumbs. He pushed his tyre lever into the remaining gap and levered the final section of bead onto the rim. He worked the valve up and down and waggled it to seat it fully in the tyre. The other cyclist reached into his back pocket and pulled out a small CO2 inflator. Here, he said. Jeff screwed the inflator to the valve and squeezed the trigger on the pump. The icy gas raced through the tube and left white crystals on his fingers. He removed the inflator and handed it back to the cyclist. The tyre was hard and ready. Jeff slipped the wheel into the dropouts and pushed in the button on his Campagnolo brake lever. He collected up the old tube and rolled it tightly and put it in his tool bag together with his tyre levers. Thanks, he said. On a fig roll? The cyclist thought for a moment. Tar, he said. Jeff reached into his back pocket and removed two fig rolls wrapped in foil. He handed one to the cyclist. They stood together in silence at the side of the dark piney forest, leaning against their bikes, the only sound the chomping of dusty fig rolls as the clouds drifted apart and the hard bright sun gradually emerged. Tank fast it, said Jeff. Don't mind if I do. Jeff reached into his other pocket and pulled out a handful of Haribo tang fastics. The cyclist took two, a blue and green one and an orange and yellow one. He bit into them and twisted his lips as the sourness hit his tongue. He took two more. I'll have these later, 
he said. A group of about six cyclists rolled past, all dressed in identical Sky Rafa kits and shiny blue cask helmets, legs pumping on their shiny Pinarellos. A Jaguar XKE followed close behind and rolled to a stop. Hey, Brad, called the driver. You coming? Please be advised that the following story contains some bad language. Brown sauce. Once on the Pilgrim's Way, Angela picked up the pace. Her legs spun the pedals with practised ease. She leaned forward, hands on the drops, feeling the wind flow through her helmet and over her short brown hair. She felt Eric pull along beside her. He seemed so much faster than her. Her heart was pounding and she was sucking in deep breaths, but Eric seemed to expend no more energy than if he was sitting on the sofa and watching TV. You're doing fine, he said. You're going great. Oh, thanks, said Angela, you patronising bastard. Eric grinned and pulled ahead. She dug into the pedals and chased after him and caught him at Cowpoo Corner. They crossed the M25 just near Pole Hill and turned left onto the Filston Rollers. Angela was faster here and she moved in front, touching 30 miles an hour on her Garmin, streaking past the hedgerows and farms. She stayed in front as they reached the outskirts of Shoreham Village, Eric sitting on her wheel and freewheeling much of the way. You let me win, you bastard, she said, but she was smiling. I didn't, said Eric. Honest. Well, maybe a bit. Anyway, it's not a race. It's always a race with you, Eric. They dismounted at the Battle of Britain cafe. They ordered mugs of tea and bacon doorstops from the nice lady in the cafe, surrounded by drawings of Spitfires and Lancaster bombers. They went outside and sat at one of the tables on the grass. Angela removed her helmet, gloves and gilet and let the warm sun dry the sweat on her forehead and arms. She leaned back in her chair and felt the cool breeze on her face. The boy brought the sandwiches and their tea. Have you got any brown sauce? said Eric. And red, said Angela. Can I have red sauce, please? The boy returned with two bottles of sauce. He looked about eleven. Thanks, said Angela. What's your name? Jack, said the boy. Thanks, Jack, said Angela. She upturned the bottle, opened the sandwich and slathered sauce all over the still steaming bacon. The melting butter had soaked through the bread and was hardening on the plate like a little patch of sunshine. Eric took a bite from his sandwich and the brown sauce oozed out and slid down his chin. Mmm, he said, with his mouth full of bacon and bread and sauce. What do you think about Dad? said Angela. He's a cunt, said Eric. I hope he dies. Don't say that, said Angela. You don't know. I do know, said Eric. I do know he's gone and left Mum. I know he's walked out on her. I know he's behaved like a cunt. I know he's treated her like shit all her life. He's a cunt. Angela ate her sandwich. There were tears in her eyes. He's still our dad, she said. I still love him. I can't help it. You do too, really, even if he did walk out on mum. And us, sis. Don't forget us. He walked out on us too. And no, I don't. Yeah, I know, said Angela. There were others in the garden now. Some ramblers, an elderly couple, some mountain bikers, members of a cycling club. People come to look round the museum. Angela sipped her tea. At least he's not having an affair, said Eric. Angela stopped eating and looked at him. She spoke slowly, hesitantly. Has Mum spoken to you? What about? About Dad. Has she spoken to you in the last few days? What do you mean, sis? I've been away, you know that. I only got home last night. I thought she phoned you. She did. She phoned me yesterday morning before I got on the plane. She wanted me to bring her some duty-free fags. She said she was going to start smoking again. What did you say? I said no. I said I wouldn't. I said that was not the answer. 
She'll only buy them in the shops, said Angela. I know, that's what I realised. So I did get them. I'll give them to her later. Benson and Hitches. He finished his sandwich. So what hasn't she told me, sis? Oh, it's nothing, really. I just thought she'd spoken to you is all. You won't get out of it like that, sis. You're a shit liar. You always have been. Is he having an affair then? The cunt. I knew it. She didn't want to tell you, not with your exams coming up and everything, said Angela. She didn't want you to be upset. Upset? Upset? Of course I'm fucking upset. What am I? A child who has to be sheltered from bad news. I'm 21. I'll kill him. I'll fucking kill him. Who's the cunt? Please don't use that word all the time. It's horrible. It's not, said Eric. It's a perfect word and it fits him to a T. Cunt. Cunty. Cunty cunt. He's a cunt and so is she. What if it's not a woman, said Angela. You're fucking shitting me. Daddy's fucking some bloke. I don't fucking believe this. Who is it? Mum doesn't know, said Angela. It may not be a bloke. What do you mean? It either is or it isn't. He hasn't said, said Angela. He hasn't said it's another man, but he hasn't said it isn't. Mum's so upset. I tell you, he's got a fucking screw loose, said Eric. I always hated him. Did you know that? Always. That's not true, said Angela. Listen to Daddy's little girl, said Eric. He can't do anything wrong in your eyes, can he? You're always his favourite. That's not true, said Angela again. There were tears in her eyes and she dabbed at them with her matkin. She put her sunglasses back on to hide the puffiness around her eyes. He hasn't texted me, she said, or phoned me, or anything. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about anyone, said Eric, except himself, except his cunt self and his cunt tart of his cunt fancy man. I never want to see him or hear from him again. I hope he dies, and soon. You're horrible, said Angela. Let's go, sis, said Eric. I don't want to talk about him or think about him. They got back on their bikes. We'll go back via Cockermouth, said Eric. That's a hard climb. Take your mind off it. Cockermouth. <laughs> Maybe that's what he's doing to her now, or him. Stop it, said Angela. You're disgusting. Angela got home first. Eric tried, but this time he couldn't catch her.